Good morning. This meeting will come to order. Welcome to the December 1st, 2022 regular meeting of the Government Audit and Oversight Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I'm Supervisor Dean Preston, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Vice Chair Connie Chan uh, and uh, Supervisor Matt Dorsey. Our, our Committee Clerk today is Stephanie Cabrera and I want to thank the team at SFGov TV for staffing this meeting. Madam Clerk, do you have any announcements? Yes, thank you. The Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment, while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those who are watching either channel 26, 28, 78, or 99 at sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. The phone number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2488-408-5230, then press pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak along the curtain wall, and those on the telephone should dial star 3 to be added to the speaker line. If you're on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using. As already indicated, we will go to public comment from the attending persons attending in person, and then we will go to our public comment telephone line. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to me, the Government Audit and Oversight Clerk, at stephanie.gabrera, C as in California, A, B as in Bay, R, E, R, A, at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. At 1, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. Finally, acted, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of December 13th, unless otherwise stated. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And uh, before we call our first item, I um, want to go ahead and make a motion to excuse Supervisor Mandelman. Uh, please call the roll on that. Member Dorsey? Aye. Vice Chair Chan? Chair Preston? Aye. Aye, thank you. Chair, you have a quorum. Thank you. Uh, motion passes. And uh, I want to start by uh, welcoming Supervisor Dorsey and thank you for uh, filling the shoes of uh, Supervisor Mandelman today here in committee. And I think you're your first time uh, here at GAO, I think, if, if I'm not mistaken. So welcome. Uh, pleased to have you here. And we will go ahead, Madam Clerk, and please call the first item. Item number one is a hearing to discuss the Department of Public Health's draft plan to create a proactive citywide trauma response to gun violence and request the Department of Public Health and the Mayor's Office of Public Safety to report. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2488-408-5230, then press pound and pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star three to line up to speak. The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And uh, 
Colleagues, today the Department of Public Health will be presenting its plan uh, to proactively reach out to neighbors to offer trauma counseling and other services following a shooting. Uh, this plan is the result of a resolution uh, passed unanimously uh, by, by the board in June of this year. Um, the original resolution came about after uh, a fatal shooting in the Fillmore earlier this year um, when my office met with uh, a sobbing mother and her son, both of them clearly in shock uh, because of bullets that went through their apartment walls and actually remained lodged in their apartment wall uh, days after the shooting. Uh, they wanted to con get connected to counseling and, and mental health support. Uh, my office and, and I spent uh, weeks working with the Department of Public Health and community partners to arrange resources for them and also arrange um, uh, proactive outreach uh, and drop-in counseling for some of their neighbors who also needed um, assistance. And, and this is, you know, really throughout the past year, uh, in particular, our office has again and again mobilized to address these needs for our constituents, situations where we have uh, we have to advocate for traumatized community members just to get basic counseling and services that we believe uh, they should be getting um, in a more proactive manner. Now, I should note, like many of the services um, are actually available through the city. Um, and, and there's quite a bit of mental health uh, support that is av available for uh, trauma victims, but um, they, they, uh, residents are not made aware of these services and often have to, uh, through their own connections and sometimes through luck, uh, really persist and advocate for themselves to, to get connected um, to, the, to those services. Now, the city and its partners do offer, uh, in, a very, in a very proactive way, wraparound services to the direct victims of gun violence and their families, uh, and their immediate families. And, and so I want to note and recognize that work, but when it comes to reaching out more broadly to other traumatized uh, members of the community, including immediate neighbors, including witnesses, um, two shootings, uh, we are, uh, as a city, I think, falling short. Um, and until now, there was n has not been a protocol in place uh, for the city to reach out to neighbors in the immediate area of a shooting in order to provide uh, resources in the immediate aftermath. We're talking days, not weeks or months. Um, and so we set out to change that, and, and I want to acknowledge and thank um, all of my colleagues for unanimously supporting our resolution um, and specifically want to recognize and thank uh, President Walton, Supervisor Chan, um, and Supervisor Stephanie for their co-sponsorship of the, the resolution uh, that, that led us to where we are here today. Um, after the resolution passed at, at the board, um, the uh, DPH set out to create the, the proposal and the, and the protocol, um, and my office connected uh, DPH with uh, com the community members who had come to our office and others um, to find resources for traumatized residents. Uh, we also attended, and I, and I particularly want to thank Melissa Hernandez on my staff, my legislative aide, who participated in and attended uh, the listening sessions that were hosted uh, by DPH uh, to hear from community. Um, I 
cannot thank enough the folks at DPH for all of their work on this, as well as the residents who, uh, who came to our office uh, to get the ball rolling on this, and also who have given input on uh, this policy, as well as the many community-based organizations that have reviewed the policy and been giving uh, their input uh, along the way and participating in the listening sessions. I, I you know, because of all of the folks I, I just mentioned, um, we have before us a, a uh, proposed plan uh, and new protocol to make sure that our city I is meeting people where they are instead of waiting for folks to find their way through what can sometimes feel like a maze and to our offices uh, and, and others uh, to, to ask for help. Um, before I turn it over to DPH, I, I, I do want to note, as I'm sure uh, DPH will as well, that this, pro this is a new protocol. This is not set in stone uh, at, at this point in time, and it's one of the reasons we wanted to have this uh, hearing was um, for a public presentation of uh, the, the protocol, and it can be updated, and it, and, uh, it can be updated uh, based on the input that we get from colleagues uh, on the board as well as from community members who will continue to weigh in and public commenters here, here at this hearing. Um, so with that uh, context, uh, I, I want to recognize and welcome uh, Stephanie F uh, Felder, Director of uh, Comprehensive Crisis Services for the Department of Public Health, um, who will be taking the lead on this presentation uh, with, with others from DPH uh, uh, available as well for questions. Um, Ms. Felder, I, I want to thank you for all of your work, extremely difficult work uh, that, that you do uh, tirelessly uh, to assist uh, victims and to, to help folks through very traumatic uh, period of, of time, particularly in the aftermath of, of this kind of um, gun violence. So I want to welcome you and give you the floor and looking forward to your presentation. Thank you. Protocol. Uh, my name is uh, Stephanie Felder, and I'm the director of Comprehensive Crisis Services. Accompanying me here today is uh, Max Roca. He is the director of Systems of Care for the Department of Public Health Behavioral Health uh, Services. On May 24th, 2022, the Board of Supervisors uh, passed a resolution uh, regarding the citywide trauma response uh, to gun violence. The command within that resolution was that within 90 days from passage that we needed to create a protocol and, implement, and an implementation plan to respond proactively with information and connection to resources following instances of gun-related community trauma, which would include responding within 72 hours of an incident of gun violence, outreach uh, to individuals within a one block radius uh, from the incident by notifying community members, other people affected through flowering, phone calls, uh, community events, or other means of information, as well as a clear delineation of duties between department service providers and any other city affiliated agencies as needed uh, to implement this protocol. Next slide. Um, the impact of gun violence here in San Francisco, as we know, 
Gun violence, especially among youth, has serious and lasting effects on physical, behavioral, and social health. Those who experience violence as victims, perpetrators, and or witnesses are more likely to have behavioral and mental health difficulties, including increased depression, uh, symptoms, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, and aggression. In a recent analysis of gun violence in San Francisco, it was found that 85% of those impacted by gun violence are black and Latino men. In 2019, an analysis showed that 29% of all violent gun crimes took place in Bayview, Patrol Hill, and in Visitation Valley neighborhoods. Along with that, that a quarter of the city's homicides for the past five years have occurred there as well. Interventions um, that we find that address the impact of gun violence, uh, there are uh, four uh, buckets uh, that we divided them into. Uh, the intervention types, the first one is social and health services for those who are experiencing or who are exposed to gun violence. Some examples of those types of interventions that are provided by those services are case management, supportive services, hospital-based violence prevention programs, school-based services, and mental health services. Uh, programs currently providing those are Comprehensive Crisis Services, the Wraparound Project, and the Trauma Recovery Center, as well as other neighborhood uh, community-based organizations. Uh, the next intervention is direct uh, community outreach, which is usually happens through town hall meetings, uh, community dialogues, as well as through um, community ambassador programs. Here in San Francisco, that usually takes place through the Street Violence Intervention Program, uh, community um, providers, as well as the town hall meetings that are hosted by San Francisco Police Department, the Board of Supervisors, and other city agencies. The third one is public awareness of victim services, and those types of interventions are usually done through centralized online directory of services, as well as public awareness campaigns. Uh, currently, that's done through our DA Victim Services Office here in San Francisco. Lastly, uh, the intervention is coordination and collaboration of victim service providers, uh, and that is used to improve referral mechanisms and linkages to implement a shooting response protocol to regularly convene uh, meetings of the service providers and the community-based organizations, which currently happens through the street violence uh, rep response team meeting that happens weekly on Wednesdays and facilitated uh, by San Francisco Police Department. The types of supports needed in the community that are impacted by shootings from our experience uh, at the department, what we find out what is uh, requested most is community support, peer support, uh, psychological first aid and debriefings are more common. Uh, then there are social services and resources to support mental health, including housing, employment, and other city services. Less common, we find out that are, uh, people are engaged in are uh, mental health care uh, and support in the traditional way. Next slide, okay, that's the current slide. Um, currently, here we have our current notification system, what currently exists. So comprehensive crisis services get a phone call from the police department regarding any shooting 
or homicide uh, that happens here in San Francisco. After that call is received, uh, an assessment is done to determine the level of response. Uh, some of those responses would include uh, some of these agencies. Uh, one is uh, the San Francisco General UCSF Wraparound Program. Anytime someone is admitted uh, to a hospital, they are the lead agency. Uh, they will do rounds in the hospital. They also, of course, provide the uh, medical through the trauma surgery, as well as intensive case management. They actually serve uh, all ages um, as of recent. And then we have the uh, DPH crisis response services or the trauma recovery services, and their goal is to provide individual family therapy uh, and uh, mental health support for individuals that are impacted uh, by the violence. Uh, the crisis response team will also respond uh, to the scene and to the hospital as well, currently. And then there's the street violence intervention program, and they do outreach in the community. They also respond uh, to the hospital in collaboration with the DPH response team, and their role is to uh, help to connect uh, to DPH as well as to go out and uh, hopefully interrupt uh, any um, potential uh, violence that may occur after that incident. Next slide. Oh, I'm sorry, and one more thing, back to the other slide, please, is the SVRT meeting, which happens, again, weekly, every Wednesday. Uh, the department's representative, or SFPD, the school district, uh, the DA's office, the Department of Public Health, uh, the Mayor's Office of Housing, other community-based organizations, uh, SVIP as well, to coordinate its services to make sure uh, no one um, is left unserved. Next slide. Uh, next is how we approached uh, our response to the Board of Supervisors resolution. Uh, first, we engage the community partners and city departments that are already doing this important work uh, related to the behavioral health response to gun violence. Secondly, we developed an initial draft of a response protocol. Thirdly, we sought specific input from city and community partners to inform uh, the next steps. Next slide. Uh, DPH, we facilitated three community meetings between uh, the months of July and August uh, with our community partners and city agencies here listed, I won't go through all of them, are um, some of the organizations that were either invited or participated uh, in this process as well as our city agencies. The city agencies with the stars are the ones that were listed uh, in the resolution. Uh, next slide. The key themes um, that we gathered from our stakeholders uh, and some of the principal values that guided us. Uh, so the key themes from our stakeholders were communities uh, most impacted by gun violence are informally responding to incidents but need more support and resources. Uh, secondly, uh, direct on-site response uh, would be the most trusted approach uh, to providing information uh, to the community, so being on-site um, going face-to-face, -face. and next, uh, services need to be uh, culturally uh, responsive. Our principles and values that guided uh, the development of this protocol are we recognize and support the work already being done uh, by the community, because they do know the community. Uh, secondly, uh, to center the imperative to address uh, racial equity. Um, we need to meet people where they are, Acknowledge that there are some system uh, limitations. 
uh, recognize the need for other social supports, and resources also need to be culturally congruent. So our protocol, um, next slide. Um, so the protocol to the, for the citywide trauma response that we developed, we uh, drafted it in uh, two parts. Uh, part one has to do with the notification and the outreach of coordination. In the notification, SFPD will notify uh, DPH, Comprehensive Crisis so Services, about a fatal or non-fatal shooting. Within 24 hours, Comprehensive Crisis Services will contact a gun violence healing response outreach coordinator or coordinators who contact appropriate community providers or provider, providers or providers based on the impacted neighborhood or the cultural community uh, that was impacted. The second part of part one is the outreach coordination. The coordinator and community provider or providers will make a plan for outreach within 72 hours and within a one block radius uh, at a minimum uh, of the shooting. Example of some outreach activities would be in-person presence within the community, strategies to support mental health, well-being and healing, including psychological first aid, uh, facilitating and participating in community-driven healing groups, activities and meetings, navigation to social services and behavioral health resources, uh, providing information on other available resources. Uh, part two of the protocol involves linkages and referrals for social services and behavioral health resources. Um, the community providers would provide information linking impacted community members uh, to healing resources, examples of that uh, would be by flyering, flyering uh, phone calls, community events, word of mouth, social media, and a warm handoff. An example of the resources they would be linking to would be or advising on or pop-up drop-in hours for behavioral health support in the neighborhood impacted, social services including housing, employment, and other city services, uh, behavioral health providers uh, by their neighborhood including culturally specific supports, and crisis and emergency resources that may be needed for the impacted uh, community. Next slide. So here uh, we have what the uh, proposed protocol uh, flow uh, would look like, uh, which would be an enhancement of the current one. In blue, you have what currently exists, and in orange is the proposed protocol and the enhancement of uh, the current notification. Once again, the San Francisco Police Department would uh, notify Comprehensive Crisis Services, who will assess and determine the level of response. Uh, they will follow the current violence response notification uh, for the individuals uh, that are impacted by notifying either the wraparound services, trauma recovery, SVIP to offer outreach, mental health support for the individuals and families directly impacted by the violence. In addition to that, uh, they will notify the gun violence healing response outreach uh, coordinator who will then notify the community provider or providers um, on the neighborhood and cultural needs of the ones that were impacted. They will devise and implement a plan uh, to do outreach within 72 hours, to do outreach activities within 72 hours, as well as do linkage and referrals to social services and behavioral health resources. I also like to acknowledge the thanks uh, Supervisor Chan for her resolution inducting at the full board on Tuesday. Uh, we will explore 
on how we can provide resources to victims of gun violence as it relates to their rights about AB uh, 1594 when it goes into effect on July 1st, 2023. Lastly, our next steps and how we can uh, finalize and implement this uh, protocol if it is accepted. Uh, one, uh, funding would be needed to would need to be secured to implement the proposed protocol. Uh, two, once funding is secured, the proposed protocol would be implemented in phases with initial implementation as a pilot uh, in high impact areas. And thirdly, throughout the phases, regular engagement with community providers, coordinators, and city representatives uh, would occur. So that is the end of our presentation. I'd like to thank you all, and we're open for questions and feedback. Thank you so much, uh, Ms. Felder, for, for all your work on this and for the presentation. Um, and uh, I, I know we, we, there was back and forth with us and the department from the time of, of originally drafting this, just around what were we were trying to, I think, all work collaboratively to do this as quickly as possible, but also to make sure that the listening sessions and the opportunity for public input was there. Um, and, and, and so some of the negotiations around the, the timelines on these things, the amount of time to develop the protocol, I wanna uh, recognize that that was a back and forth and I think, I, I think landed in the right place. It feels like it, it's taken a number of months to do it, but I think it was time well spent in terms of gathering the input and, and getting to this place. Um, I wanted to clarify a, a couple things uh, that you talked about. Um, one is on the, the the phase in and timing that you that you spoke of, and the vision of of piloting this these additional components to um, to doing this kind of proactive uh, community outreach um, in in. Um, initial implementation targeting or um, some of the high impact areas, um, as you mentioned. It, is that, I just wanna get clear on which areas would be initially prioritized. Are those the, um, the ones on, I think it was slide three, where you had. Well, we talked about the Bayview, Visitation Valley, Petrero Hill. Right. Those as well as the uh, uh, Western Edition or Fillmore area. Those would be prioritized. Great, mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the chart, I noticed that the, um, the the reference to the gun violence healing response coordinator, which is a new position, was is is done at, written as the singular or the plural. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, and I, I understand those positions don't exist and, the, and the, uh -huh. they're being created. But um, but I'm I am curious, given the current level of gun violence mm -hmm. uh, and and. Mm -hmm hopefully we see that drop, but just at the current levels, mm -hmm. is it your expectation that that would be a single coordinator position or that that would require, if the funding were there, to have multiple positions? So the thought is the outreach a coordinator would probably be, and we haven't solidified that, one single person, so that because all of this is kind of citywide, and that one person would notify which neighborhood which would have its own kind of sub-coordinator or provider that they would notify um, to help to dispatch within 72 hours. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and what is the plan 
runway here for implementation of the protocol. Assuming no substantive changes to it, um, we'll see what public comment brings and you know the days ahead. But assuming it it basically stays as proposed here, mm -hmm. um, when would would we expect to see it um, implemented at least in the prior at first in the priority neighborhoods? Well, once we secured the funding uh, for it. Um, identify which uh, outreach coordinators in each neighborhood and coordinate that. Um, it just would depend. I, I would estimate at least a few months because one, we have to get the money in their hands and then they have to hire individuals um, as well and that takes some time. Yeah, yeah. Um, good morning, my name is Max Rocha, Director of System of Care Behavioral Health Services. Um, augmenting what Ms. Felder mentioned is potentially we do have to go through a procurement process. Um, so we want to look through our current providers who can augment the contract, and if not, we have to go through a bidding process. And the procurement process would be for additional community-based organizations to, to carry this out. It wouldn't be, I mean, the basic structure here could be done once the coordinator's in place um, with existing partners and existing. Correct. So we want to expedite it as fast as we can, yeah. But one of the feedback that we got um, when we did the community is like a lot of the grassroots feel like they're informally doing this work but aren't getting the funding for it. So that's a different avenue to his point about procurement. Like we really want the people on the ground actually doing the work as well. I know that their organization is doing it, but we want people who know the people in the neighborhood who can connect and engage. So that's going to take some time. That's going to be the issue. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I think it's a really important point you just made because I think it is the case that a lot of our, the community partners and organizations are doing some aspects of this work and sometimes above and beyond what they're actually specifically funded to do. I think what, what I've noticed at least as a bit of a pattern in, in the Western Edition has been that folks who already have those pre-existing relationships with those organizations right, are able to, there, there is outreach, they, they know where to go, how to access those services, and the folks who end up coming uh, to our office are folks who are, are not already working with uh, in, and in communication with a lot, of, a lot of those groups. So I think that, and, and it's, it's those folks who are not uh, necessarily in some of these networks already or getting that level of support um, who I think this outreach is gonna, is gonna uh, benefit most. And I think it is asking a lot of organizations where, that are not funded to do that work to expand their sphere of outreach in the way that, that this resolution was urging. So I appreciate you, you naming that. Um, I, I am curious though, I mean, is, is the, are there parts of this that can be implemented with current, with current budget? Um, because whenever I hear that something will happen once funded, the implication there is, barring a very unusual mid-year appropriation, um, you know, usually that means waiting for the next budget cycle, right, which is the middle of next summer, basically, and then beyond that, once money's in hand. Um, this strikes me as relatively, and maybe you can... Uh, uh, shed some light on the, the estimated costs here, but it strikes me as a pretty low dollar value type 
program that is has a should be in my opinion a really high priority um, and uh, I know that, that it you know it's often possible to allocate existing fundings uh, to to uh, to an initiative like this so can, can you address like what specifically has to await new funding versus what the department could implement of this uh, now So in the format that you would like for it to be implemented, to do what we have in the protocol, that would have to take time. Can we provide the mental health services in those neighborhoods after an incident? By all means, yes. Currently, um, we already do some of that work. We've reached out to uh, uh, different individuals or different um, housing units to, that have been impacted by the violence to the service coordinators to ask them about us coming and doing pop-up uh, individual work. Uh, currently, even in the Western Edition, we are coordinating um, now on trying to just have some regular engagement and to have a present there at least once a month or twice a month so that people are familiar uh, with mental health. In that sense, we can do that component of it as far as providing that resource, but the outreach to make sure that the majority of people are um, aware of the resources, that's going to take some more legwork to do in, in, in that sense. Yes. Um, jumping in real quick. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So we are also working with Human Rights Commission to strategize potential funding opportunities to support this as well. Um, so we are exploring various options as we speak. Great. Yes. And thank you, Mr. Rocha, for, for mentioning that, because I think that's an, an important potential source of, of funding and cert certainly one that, that that we would support with potential Dreamkeeper uh, or other funding to to be able to to hopefully not have to since those funds are already allocated or already appropriated um, they would not need to await the next uh, budget cycle so hopefully there's there's possibility there um, and I look forward to working with you uh, further on on that and 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 I guess that's one question is is that I have beyond beyond potential funding through um, HRC and Dreamkeeper. It, is there, are there any other ways that the Board of Supervisors uh, right now um, or, or the mayor can, can move this to implementation quicker or, or is, it, is it simply having the few month runway that you mentioned and the funding lined up? Is there any, anything else that, that we can do that would help? Yeah, we truly appreciate the supervisor's support in moving this forward, um, as well as the mayor's office as well. We do need a couple months of runway to make sure we get the right level of feedback, because uh, this is really about community engagement and involvement. So we want to nail down the plan, and then thereafter um, explore the funding opportunities with uh, Human Rights Commission. And also, unfortunately, our current budget is allocated already, and we want to seek what's currently available, even from staffing pattern, to shore up what we are doing right now so we can fill the gaps and be able to move forward. Thank you. Vice Chair Chan. Thank you, Chair Preston. I think, um, you know, I, I would say that uh, in terms of gun violence impact, and as I recall, the height of gun violence impact and homicide really was in 2006, somewhere around that time. It's been a while already. And so I think, the, uh, I don't know if you both have been with DPH, then as well as now, at that time, I believe like Char someone like who who have since then retired, like someone like Charlie Morimoto was part of the DPH for the crisis response team. There was actually an established 
protocol different than what is proposed here now, which I'm really glad to see that really some concrete uh, timeline like within 72 hours and, and I know that it's um, good to see it's being established and codified in that sense. Uh, but it's also the reason why I think that some of the nonprofits really been doing this work uh, all along because at one point they were officially funded and then at one point they're not. Uh, Mayor Lee also have launched actually an office of uh, street violence prevention, um, including program and services. I think Deanna now, who works for SFPD, was formerly the director. So I think the question that I want to go back, it's just a little bit the history of it. Like what happened in between that time to now, like that there seems to be a gap. And, and I am, while it's unfortunately that we still are dealing with gun violence, by comparison, the, 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 the incidence rates has dropped. So it's a good thing, but of course it's always uh, wanted to see it continue to decrease and whenever it happens that the victims and their families and witnesses of, of those incidents who experience trauma will be provided services in a timely fashion. Could you just explain a little bit what happened in the, the, the disconnect between 2012, especially 2012 and, and now? So the notification uh, protocol that you talked about in 2006 it currently still exists. That was the one that was showed in the blue is existing. So that uh, particular protocol focused mainly on the individuals that had um, directly impacted uh, by violence and their families. Uh, the current, what's happening now is we're looking more at the community at large, like the neighbors are also impacted. They may have not been directly the victim, but they also impacted or the witnesses or the person on the bus. Uh, Etc. So that's the difference. I don't believe that there's a gap. That service has still uh, been going on. The street violence intervention program has evolved from the crisis response network to now what's known as the street violence. Uh, inter uh, when it was the crisis response network, I think it was a community uh, local based, uh, ran by several different uh, nonprofits or community based organizations. Uh, currently, it's one group that serves citywide. Uh, and is under uh, Health Right 360 uh, currently, but those services are still existing. The crisis response team, we still go out, we still respond to homicides, we still support families uh, with the next steps uh, as well. So that part still currently does exist. And so that kind of leads to like that, I'm trying to understand then, you know, you really have that infrastructure already. I mean, I totally understand that you want, you, you, there's the procurement of contracts and trying to figure out. Again, though, I think my question is, yeah, it, it's, it's just a little bit for me, just mm -hmm. as a former A to Supervisor Sophie Maxwell in District 10, thinking about that time and then up to now, it's, it's quite some time. It's almost two decades time to, to think about that like we still are trying to <laughs> launch this and trying to figure this out. So I, I just want to share with you my, my, my frustration uh, sure, with, with, with having, not having this done sooner. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I look forward to seeing it to speed up. And I, I mean, I concur with Chair Preston. It's whatever that we can do to mm -hmm. speed up that, uh, that process to make sure that we can deliver in a timely fashion. I, I just please let us know. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Vice Chair Chan. And yeah, I, I think whatever we can do to 
I sh it, it, this is one of these things that feels like it should have been in place for a long time. I mean, that you know, necessitated a resolution, and as Vice Chair Chan is saying, uh, on issues that are not new, right? And that, and and I think one one of my concerns, having you know, talking regularly with a lot of the providers, is if we don't act quickly to have a protocol like this, fully funded and operational, what we're essentially doing is we are just creating this burden on the providers that they really aren't, I mean, they, they go above and beyond. They're not going to turn away people in need, right? But they don't have the capacity to do the kind of proactive outreach that we're talking about in, the, in this resolution. And yet, if every month or day that goes by where we don't have this system in place, we're implicitly just continuing to rely on them to do something that they're not fully funded to do and that they frankly don't have the capacity to do this kind of actual proactive outreach. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, I, I think we're all on the same page on that. I, mm -hmm. I just think we want to like, we've gotten to this place where I think we've all, we all recognize the need for this um, and would just urge uh, everyone involved from, HRC and mayor's office to um, my colleagues, everyone to to really put this at the top of the list um, as something that we we really need to implement uh, as soon as possible. Um, do you have um, some sort of window of time for input before you deem this a finalized protocol and and, and then just strictly can move into the funding and implementation for this? And, and this is for the benefit, really, of the public to know if they do have input in addition to, to giving public comment today. If anyone wants to, um, they can contact and, and maybe you can let them know how they can get uh, their, their comments to you. Um, but is there, a, is there a window of time after which this will be viewed as final and adopted? Um, as soon as possible for the comments, um, because to your point, you want to implement it uh, sooner. Um, so the sooner we get the com uh, comments, the quicker we can finalize the protocol and move forward uh, once we secure the funding as well. Okay? So I'm hoping within the next two weeks or so, at least to get some comments, great. would be great. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Um, and then I, w for folks who currently outreach isn't happening to, right? Mm -hmm. um, where, some of whom may be listening or watching, like where should folks go? Um, what, what is the best place right now um, for folks to get information on the resources that are available to someone who, you know, lives nearby uh, or is otherwise impacted? by uh, gun violence in their community looking for mental health counseling or, or other services? So for the mental health counseling, they can call our crisis line and we can help connect into the services. Uh, that phone number is 415-970-4000. And once they call, we can connect them to mental health resources and then if there are other resources, we can try to identify them and link them to those services. Because a lot of times what comes up is that people are asking for housing and they want to move so we can try to connect them with housing or direct them in the right paths uh, that they need to um, do the work uh, to help them to move if that's what's needed. Thank you. And is there an online directory or offline directory of city-funded 
resources that are available for trauma counseling or psychological first, first aid, as you were referred to it? We can refer to a DPH website at uh, www.sfdph.org. Is there a list, like a directory of those? Oh, the current, um, only for mental health services, so not at um, what the current list from Comprises. We can work on that and um, update that as well. Yeah, I, I think it would be, you know, I, I, we haven't been able to find one, and as, when we've tried to, to refer folks, and, and, and I just want to reiterate, I, I, I mean, Ms. Felder and your team, I mean, you've been extremely responsive when there are needs, when folks come forward and, and are in need. So I, I just, but, but again, but it, that's, that's people, there's so many steps, right, for someone to, they happen to have a relationship with our office or they happen to attend a church where uh, the pastor knows what services, right? There, there, there's so many things that have to line up to get to that point, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we are trying to distribute this information much more proactively and more broadly. I do think having um, the, the resource both online and offline that is a more specific list of resources and recognizing that some folks are never gonna call the crisis line, mm -hmm. right? They're never gonna come to our office. Mm -hmm. But if we're distributing a flyer or making things available, they might see that, that uh, directory uh, of, mm -hmm. of resources. So if, if we could do one that is more specific to this situation, uh, both on the web and, and an offline version, I think that would be very helpful. Thank you. Um, Vice Chair Chan, I see you on the roster. You have an additional. Yeah. I, I just want to add to yeah. that, too, with what Chair Preston was saying, too. I think, like, um, perhaps expanding what your existing protocol, I do believe that when you have gun violence victims, that when you reach out to them, you, you do give them some sort of package, I believe, like some sort of information listing. And, and I think that I'm just kind of curious if that still exists and is still an ongoing practice and, and if that can be expanded to, to those who witness the trauma and, and be able to have some on sites like obviously people can lose the paper and whatever it is but i agree that whatever tools in our toolbox we should utilize it is it then you know even if it's as simple as a web link that people can go they get a hard copy on sites because uh, you have that on sites you talked about being on site it's really the most efficient and then once they have that then they can when they calm down or however way they settle down, they can actually go back and to, to online and get the rest of the resources uh, if need be and according to what their needs are at that moment. So look forward to seeing that and uh, we look forward to also being able to have like what Chair Preston said, having some community inputs. I always think that it's good to have it vetted. Of course. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Chan, and uh, let's go ahead and open this item up for public comment. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment on item number one? Please line up along the wall to your right. Remote public call-in members, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. You can... Good morning. I'm Kate with uh, Tenderloin Community Benefit District. And I, I wanted to first thank DPH um, for the services that you provide. Uh, back in 2019, 
Almost our entire staff witnessed a fatal stabbing in front of our office, and we knew about the services um, that DPH offers through the crisis support, and they came to our office. We reached out to them, and they um, came several times to uh, support our staff. Um, with that, I, I am requesting that the Tenderloin is added as a priority area. This is a neighborhood that experiences a lot of violence and gun violence that often goes underreported. We just had a fatal homicide on Saturday. We have the highest density of children and the second highest density of seniors who are impacted daily by violence. So I'm, I'm just requesting that the Tenderloin be added to a priority area. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go to the lines, is there anyone else? Seeing no more in-person public comment, we have three callers in the queue. Can you please forward the first caller? Good morning, everyone. My name is Nate Ford of San Francisco Rebel. Um, I concur with the last um, speaker. Um, I think the Tenderloin definitely should be added to the high priority uh, list. Um, and I also seem to think that, you know, this shouldn't be restricted to gun violence. It should be any kind of um, um, assault and battery. There has been a number of assaults and batteries and home invasions and things like that that um, really uh, traumatize the families um, and victims as well. Um, I also urge that we kind of move the needle in this um, process um, as fast as possible, um, not um, tooting my horn at all, or, but there are people that are on the ground and trying their best to quell um, this violence around the city, but we definitely need help. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. May I please have the next caller? This is Francisco da Costa, and I want you all to pay attention to something that's important because it seems that you all don't have this information. At one time in San Francisco, we had the Office of Criminal Justice that we deactivated. Today, we outsource the services, but you representatives don't know who does what? The district attorney has a lot of money given to it to help those who are victims of guns violence. You all have to have the, the data and the information so that it's quickly given to all the citizens who, who are taxpayers. It seems that you all don't know anything about street violence intervention program, which was all over the place until I brought them into my office and gave them 3,000 square feet at Executive Park. Street violence intervention program gets millions of dollars. They are outsourced to Health Right 360, which should be audited to see about standards. Again and again, your representatives have these hearings and I don't know where the money is going. I was there yesterday listening, listening to y'all. It's the same thing. Do 
this city has billions of dollars, but when it comes to trauma or things like Michael Hennessy's son uh, uh, getting treatment and dying, Michael Hennessy, the sheriff, which, which shocked Pardon me. Pardon the interruption, Mr. DeCosta. Your time has lapsed. Thank you for your comments. As a reminder, public comment is limited to two minutes today. May we please have the next caller? Good morning, um, everyone in chambers. This is Mr. Dennis Williams of uh, D5. Uh, we're a grassroots organization, founder of No Racism, No Hate. Um, I want to just appreciate, give a time to appreciate Supervisor Dean Preston uh, and his staff President Kilgore, also uh, Supervisor Shaman Walton, uh, for their res quick responding after shootings um, as they supervise some of the most extremely difficult districts in the city, um, most impoverished communities. Um, I can only hope the board um, gives them both enough funding to actually make real differences. Um, I also say grassroots organizations like myself, um, stationed at one of the most dangerous sectors of um, the Fillmore, need to be funded as nonprofits that, because we are on the grounds that we can actually make a difference to fund decades old CBOs and nonprofits with no sway in these communities is counterproductive. I think we do the neighboring communities a horrible disservice because this problem is spilling out um, into the community, our beloved Asian communities such as Visitation Valley, Pertola, on that side of the city and in my side, Japantown and Chinatown. Um, and we do them a disservice, as I said, if we don't do everything to tackle this issue. And one of the issues is we have to bridge this equity gap and must assist, you know, 20, 30,000 lower income residents in the city get up to even low income standards, which is $100,000, as we know that in the city. Currently, no black real estate developers in the real estate industry are being awarded contracts as primes. And the pre-qualifications, as you guys like to say, well, they're making it impossible for black developers um, to gain a foot in an already closed door. This disallows employment and on-site job training of troubled youth, black and Latino, Asian, and so forth and so on. So we have to do everything in our possible to provide jobs and to help William. stop. Your time has lapsed. Thank you for your comments. We have one more caller. Can you please forward the last caller? Hello, Supervisors. This is Gloria Berry from District 10. I'm a member of the Democratic Party for identification purposes. Um, this issue is a very important matter to me. I see the harm in the community and the lasting effects when violence happens on different blocks and how everyone on that block is affected. Um, I do want to say I was offended by one of the presenters who mentioned to refer to a website. I think that's part of the problem. People like to say, just email so-and-so or just refer to a website when a lot of communities suffer from even having good Wi-Fi or a lot of these websites are hard to maneuver and not clear to who you're supposed to call. So just simply just giving them, like um, was mentioned earlier, a flyer with that information on it in their hand is, uh, sounds good. Also, I think there needs to be more hiring um, I know a few of the staff I see at uh, incidents are very good at what they do, 
and they're, they're stretched very thin. So definitely more hiring, and when hiring culturally competent people in those positions that understand the community they're sent out to, as well as assure they have living wages and um, not a burnout job that's not worth doing because it can't pay your rent. Also, I would like the focus to be on the children. The children who um, are in these circumstances don't seem to get a lot of assistance. We complain kids have low attendance at schools, but what they're going through at home, a lot of people can't even imagine. So um, definitely a big focus on children's services. And also, uh, you guys will be getting the reparations um, planning report in a few weeks. I hope you see that we're really calling for trauma-based counseling in the school. I apologize for the interruption. And last... Thank you for your comments, Ms. Barry. Your time has left. May we please have the next caller? Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, thank you. Uh, my name is uh, Rico Hamilton, uh, native of the Western Edition, and also work throughout the city uh, along with violence prevention and intervention work under Health Right 360, San Francisco Street Violence Intervention Program and been doing a bunch of work around violence for many, many, many years. Um, one of the biggest problems that I've always noticed is that we're always reactive uh, opposed to proactive. And I think that this is something that amazing that is being brought to the light as someone who has suffered gun violence last year, it'll be a year as of November 22nd. Um, uh, hold on, just give me a second. Um, it, it, it hurts my soul and it hurts the response, even in someone who has been a victim of gun violence, um, the response that I got. Um, everyone is talking about their stretch thin. Everyone's talking about they're busy. There's so much uh, on their plate. When we are one of the richest cities in the world and most innovative cities in the world, this is one of our biggest issues is when it comes to social things, for some reason, we just can't quite get it right. And I'm happy that you guys are bringing this to the light. Um, I don't, I do know a bunch of people who um, literally does amazing work within, you know, Department of Public Health and some of these other places. But what is, how do we reframe some of the things that we're doing? We have to create a new framework for some of this work. How do we mobilize mental health? I've been saying that for almost 10 years now. Mobile, uh, mental health needs to be mobilized, especially within communities that suffer the most violence. Why there aren't wellness centers within these housing developments? We need wellness centers. We need people stationary within them communities to help with the trauma that these young people are facing. Someone who uh, come from those communities, I'm in therapy now, thankful, um, but I have so much stuff that I that's in the past it's been hard to even get I to the current problem. I apologize for the interruption. Your time has lapsed. Thank you for your comments. And we're looking for any additional callers on the line. There are no other callers. Thank you. Public comment uh, on this item is now closed. Um, and I did want to follow up uh, with uh, DPH uh, representatives around um, the question uh, that I had as well on, on inclusion of Tenderloin as a priority zone. And, and when I look at the map, the, the heat map showing the gun violence, there's, there's a, a, a big 
hot spot, which looks to me like it covers both Western Edition and uh, and the Tenderloin. And so I'm, but but when I asked which uh, neighborhoods, I think you just mentioned uh, Western Edition and then Petrero and Fillmore. So um, is the will the Tenderloin be a priority area for that first round of piloting this? Yes, we can add the TLC to, it wasn't that we were negating it, I'm sorry. So yes, that, that would be when yeah. we talk about the pilot, we're talking about the hot areas, the mission will probably also be added. It's more on the outskirts. I think someone mentioned Pertola. Those are the areas that we also need to hit, but we just have to figure out how we're gonna outreach uh, to them because they don't have as many grassroots out there. Got it, yeah, okay? no, thank you for that clarification. And, and, mm -hmm. and yeah, I think, I think the, um, I mean, it's quite clear from everyone's experience and from that map that Tenderloin is certainly of one of the most impacted yes. uh, areas. And, and I think it was in, in some ways sort of shorthand referencing that the Western edition, that, that hotspot there would include, would include Tenderloin as well. Okay, um, any other questions or comments, colleagues? Seeing none, I, I, I wanna just again thank you and I really wanna thank the folks who called in, some of whom um, are well known to my office and, and other members of the board in, in doing a lot of this work. Um, again, not pursuant to a contract, but just pursuant to that they're community members and leaders. Uh, who are out there uh, doing that, that work. And I just want to invite folks, however we can support, uh, to please uh, reach out to our office. And I, and I, I just want to echo what I think most com commenters said, um, which is the urgent need for this, the incredible amounts of trauma that people, especially children, but, but really um, everyone in the community is carrying on a day-to-day um, basis um, and there, uh, you know, I think we need, we through this will start to do a better job in terms of proactive outreach. But I also just think in terms of our many priorities within our 14 billion dollar budget in city and county of San Francisco, need to be honest about the fact that this is a, uh, as you pointed out in your presentation, this is a problem disproportionately impacting black and brown communities in our city. There is a level of um, trauma and uh, under-resourcing and expecting uh, folks to do um, a, a level of work that's, that's impossible to do on uh, current on current at current funding levels that that frankly wouldn't be tolerated if this were impacting other communities um, and because they're, they're, we I think always run the risk of um, of being numb to the reports of of violence when they impact um, certain communities in our city like time and again and it just uh, really is heartbreaking what some folks are having to endure on a day-to-day -day basis without the support they need from the city and from, uh, from service providers despite all the work that, that the city and service providers are doing. So we need to welcome that challenge, right, of ramping it up, of not becoming, um, uh, not accepting 
uh, folks having to fend for themselves in the way that folks so often do. So I, I, I want to thank you for, for your work on this policy. I think it's a step forward. Let's take the couple weeks, as you mentioned. If anyone's listening, watching, please look uh, at, the, uh, at the policy. Give your feedback in the next couple weeks so that we can finalize it. Uh, and then move forward to, to implement and get any additional funding we need either through DreamKeeper or elsewhere uh, to, to make this happen. So thank you very much. Appreciate all your work. Thank you. Yep. Um, so with that, I, I will move to, uh, to file this uh, hearing request. Yeah, on the motion to file the hearing, Vice Chair Chan. Aye. Chan I, Member Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. There are three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. Um, and please, uh, Madam Clerk, please call items two through five together. Item numbers five, two through five are resolutions receiving and approving the Fisherman's Wharf land side, Fisherman's Wharf port side, Japantown, Noe Valley, and the North of Market slash Tenderloin Community Benefit District's annual reports for fiscal year 2020 through 21. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, uh, the, these... Pardon me, Chair. I do need to give the public comment. <laughs> so members of the public who wish to make public comment on this, these items shall call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2488-408-5230, then pound, then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to speak. The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted, and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And uh, colleagues, the, these items are, uh, these are resolutions receiving and approving uh, the annual reports of four community benefits districts. And uh, we handled the first batch in our last hearing, and uh, the, these are the remaining ones. Um, I, I see uh, Chris Corgis standing before me. I wasn't sure if it would be you or your colleague, Ms. Haraki. So uh, welcome, Mr. Corgis uh, from OEWD. Uh, and uh, my understanding is you will be addressing and running through all uh, all four of these, um, and then and then we will uh, we will hear from the representatives of each uh, community benefit uh, district. And I think uh, and for for a supervisor. Dorsey's benefit that, that I think we will handle handle this the way we did uh, the first round, which is Mr. Corgis will do the overall presentation. Uh, then each uh, representative will present. If there are questions about a particular one, we'll do that after the representative from that CBD speaks. Uh, we'll pause for any questions, then move on to the other one. So the floor is yours, Mr. Corgis. Thank you for all of your work. Thank you, Chair Preston and Supervisors. Good morning. Happy Wednesday to you. We're here today to uh, read four four annual reports for fiscal year 2021. As you may know, community benefit districts are governed by two sets of law. Our state law, which is the 1994 Act and can be found in Streets and Highways Code 36600, um, that section, and our local law, which is Article 15 of the Business and Tax Regulations Code. In our review process, OEWD ensures that all CBDs are meeting their management plans. We conduct an annual review of the annual reports and CPA financial reviews and statements, and we provide the Board of Supervisors with a summary memo, which is part of your packet today. So some basic information about these CBDs is, although there are four, there are technically five because the port side and land side are separate entities. The port side did sunset at the end of 2020. 
as a business-based district. The other CBDs are property-based and all have uh, significant time left on their terms. We look at four benchmarks for the property-based CBDs and three for the business-based CBD. The four are the variance between the management plan and the fiscal year budget. Benchmark two, which is not applicable to the business-based CBDs, whether they met their non-assessment revenue source requirement. Benchmark three, comparing the variance of the fiscal year budget to the fiscal year actuals. And benchmark four, whether the CBD is indicating their carry-forward amount. For Japantown CBD, they met th three of the four benchmarks. They did not meet benchmark three, which was the variance between the fiscal year budget and fiscal year actuals. The uh, findings and recommendations for Japantown is their actual spending was more frequently throughout the year to ensure they are on track to meet benchmark three. They excelled in meeting benchmark two, raising 12 times as much as the minimum required. They worked with local businesses and community partners to improve public realm and activate the public space by adding murals uh, and partially funding shared spaces in Japantown. There were no reported violations of the Brown Act within the reporting period. They complied with the surveillance technology reporting requirements. They have an active board and committee members and they're well positioned to carry out their mission. For the Noe Valley CBD, they did renew in this reporting period, so there are two columns here. For benchmark one, they did not meet that for the first half of fiscal year 2021. That is a historic situation with them due to weaknesses in the original management plan and changing in city standards. They did meet all of these benchmarks once the new management plan took into effect where those um, situations were corrected for. Our findings and recommendations were they renewed successfully on February 7th of 2020. They continued to be the fiscal agent and activated the Noe Valley Town Square successfully. They installed benches throughout the commercial corridor. They, there were no reported violations of the Brown Act. They complied with the surveillance technology reporting requirements. They have active board and committee members and they're well positioned to carry on their mission. For the Fisherman's Wharf landside CBD, similar situation. They had one version of the CBD and then the new CBD um, came into effect midway through this fiscal year. For the first portion of this under the original management plan from 2005, they met two of the four benchmarks. For the new management plan that went into effect in January of uh, that fiscal year, they met all of the four benchmarks. Our findings and, and for the port side, we did combine findings and recommendations for this section. And as a reminder, this did sunset after this uh, fiscal year, so this will be the final report for the port side CBD. Um, they did not beat benchmark one. Benchmark two does not apply to business-based CBDs, and they did meet benchmark three, and they did meet benchmark four. Our findings and recommendations for the CBD are they renewed on July 14, 2020 for the land side. Um, unfortunately, the port side CBD did sunset at the end of 2020. Um, they did not, the, prop, the business owners in the port side CBD um, elected to not renew the district. Uh, they continue to execute the retail strategy's two-year goals. They launched a new SEO-enabled website combining the CBD's website with the Fisherman's Wharf's Merchant Association. They complied with OEWD's memo regarding surveillance technology. They have active board and committee members, and they're well-positioned to carry on their mission. For the North of Market Tenderloin CBD, they did meet all four benchmarks for fiscal year 2021. 
They are a high capacity, for our findings and recommendations, they are a high capacity entity with strong ties to multiple stakeholders, businesses, and other nonprofits in the area. Uh, they've developed numerous programs over the years to address situations as they arise in the Tenderloin and were very effective during the pandemic at being a community resource. They struggle to provide OEWD with full and complete annual reports and financial statements for the past three reporting periods. Um, these delays were caused by various um, absences of in-house finance and other staff. Um, delays have been shortened with the hire of a senior finance director and administration. Uh, we continue to monitor, the, monitor them um, and under uh, the current executive director who uh, was not the executive director under this period, she has made a commitment to making sure all the reporting is done in a timely fashion. They had no reported violations of the Brown Act. They complied with the surveillance technology reporting requirements. They have an active board and committee members and they're well positioned to carry on their mission. If there are no questions for OEWD, I'd like to invite um, Grace uh, from the Japantown CBD to continue the presentation. Thank you, Mr. Corgus, and welcome, Ms. Horikiri. It is great to see you. The floor is yours. Good morning, Chair Preston and Supervisor Chan and Dorsey. Good to see you all. Um, before I forget, I have to give a huge shout out to OAWD, Chris Corgus, and Mimi Higaki because during this, you know, 2021, we relied on them so much um, and for their guidance. So I wanted to do that before I fully forgot. So let's see. So Japantown Community Benefit District is about six city blocks. Um, we have about 200 small businesses. I think 50 are uh, retail and a few more, I think uh, 80 are like restaurants and the rest are, you know, offices. Um, it is a city within a city because to me, you know, we have a shopping center. We have uh, many uh, nonprofit organizations, children, uh, a little preschool there too, and you know, churches around the area. Um, part of community benefit district work is keeping our streets clean, keeping our sidewalks clean because the streets are supposed to be DPW, but keeping our sidewalks clean. Um, our ambassadors, we only have two, um, Al and at this time it was Shanice. Um, they really were the eyes and ears for the CBD as well. Um, you know, whenever they saw any kind of um, car break-ins or anything that would alert us, of course they would alert uh, SFPD, but, you know, uh, our community really embraced them and really treasure them because they not only check in with the, uh, the small businesses when they see seniors, they assist them in crossing the street. Um, they're really invaluable and uh, they truly are treasures. Um, we do do monthly check-ins with Recology and DPW just to keep them in check and also alert them on anything that's, uh, that we see on the streets that really need their attention. Um, the cleaning stats are, you know, what it is. We still have a lot of cigarette butt pickups and numbers of pounds of trash collected is, you know, close to 20,000. But um, it is a small area, but again, trash is still trash and it's still out there. Um, keeping Japantown safe, of course, as you know, we do have 118 um, cameras uh, within our district, um, and that has enabled us to work closely with SFPD and other law enforcement, enforcement agencies. Um, we do, um, I think uh, during this time, we had a lot of Asian hate, well, we still have a lot of Asian hate crimes going on. 
Um, and in Japantown, we really didn't have that many, but we didn't want to just sit around and just wait for something to happen. We had to be proactive. And so uh, along with the other community um, organizations, we formed the Nihomachi Community Coalition, uh, which we um, used to have town hall meetings with SFPD. Uh, we were approached by the Warriors to participate in the AAPI hate video, so I'm very pleased and appreciative that they didn't forget about Japantown as well. Uh, and promoting Japantown, it's, I mean, myself, I come from a marketing communication background, so it's a, you know, a no-brainer uh, to make sure that Japantown is in the eyes and ears of not only our community, but those who visit Japantown as well. Um, during 2021, you know, the Gary BRT was happening, so we worked with SFMTA to make sure that they helped us in, you know, alerting folks that just because work is being done that this uh, neighborhood is not, you know, silent, that there's still businesses that are open. And, you know, going, really looking back at 2021, we were, I think we became this resource and source of anything related to COVID in Japantown. Um, not only did we continue doing COVID testing uh, for our community, but we were able to raise money to help our small businesses and uh, also assisted them in um, uh, applying for many things, uh, many grants and loans uh, to help them survive. So um, bottom line, you know, it really is, uh, um, uh, bottom line, it really is uh, partnerships and, you know, strengthen um, working with other departments and other organizations that really helped us get over 2021. So I'm looking forward to, you know, sharing with you what we did in 22. So that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you so much for... Uh, yeah, for, for everything, especially during this period of time that this report covers. I, I think it's um, everyone in Japantown and the nearby community knows the, the impact that you and your team uh, had in getting through this period, I, but I, I'm not sure everyone in the city does, and I just want to uh, thank you for it's it just everything from the COVID testing it, from the early days in COVID testing to to some of the earlier efforts to like with picnic on the plaza and other things when there was when when indoor dining and the malls and when everything was shut down to really exploring in an innovative way in the in the the early days of the pandemic utilizing the plaza um, and 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 the the resiliency fund which I think. Really, I, mean, I think you ended up fundraising and distributing more than your annual budget for the CBD. I know. Out, right, I, I think we're around the same, right? Close to half a million dollars or more out to, to small businesses. Um, it's, I, I, I think, uh, I, I don't want to belabor the point. We have a lot to get through, but I just, it, it's something you and I have, have talked about that, you know, this, we, we have the oldest Japan town in the nation. And it, in this pandemic was hanging, these businesses, small businesses were hanging on by a thread as were businesses around the, the city. But there's some unique issues in Japantown where you pretty much have most everything consolidated with one or two property owners and you can, you can literally have a wave of closures, you know, and some folks did not make it through the pandemic, um, some of the small businesses, but, um, 
but a lot did, and it, and Japantown's really coming back, and, and this period of time covered by this report and, and your work has been really incredible to see, so thank, thank you for, for all of that. Um, I don't have any questions beyond the comments, and, but just really wanted to, to um, thank you for all your work. Thank you. Next up. Noe Land. All right. Noe Land, the land, headed, the land of, over to Noe Valley. The land uh, of babies, dogs, and coffee. All right. Okay. Welcome. Thank you. And I should have mentioned I, that I top, we're, we're trying to do these within uh, five minutes each, so. Uh, I, we, yeah. we, we've got this down. So I'm Deborah Neiman, and I'm the executive director of this, of the NBA, uh, and helped form it. Uh, 17 years ago, and we renewed it, as Chris pointed out, just two years ago. We primarily, all we do is clean, green, and improve public space. We, have, we don't do anything with safety because our, but we're the smallest CBD and we don't have the money. Um, it's only nine blocks long, short city blocks between Diamond and Church Street. Um, these guys do everything for us. You're looking at Billy, Joseph, and Sato, and they've been with us for four to six years, and we couldn't look as good as we do without them and um, the rest of our greening shots. We work really well with the Merchants Association. Uh, we're putting on 24 holidays on 24th Street. We do wine walks. Uh, the Friends of Noe Valley is one of the oldest residential neighborhood groups in San Francisco. And with them, we've put on the garden show and an art show, and all of them at the Noe Valley Town Square, which I don't know if you know, there used to be a gas station that the community approached. You all, okay, I'm not going to repeat myself, but anyways, the community raised the money to make this happen. We work with SF Rec and Park, and it's, and it's a big hit. And um, we are, this is a screenshot from this one. We, we're having a, a tree lighting this uh, Saturday, and <laughs> somehow or another, somebody sitting on a bench said that the cheerleaders at Mission High School needed to get uh, pom-poms. And so we gave them the money to go buy the pom-poms, so they are coming to the tree lighting Saturday on Saturday to give us Christmas cheer, no pun intended. I have no idea what they're going to do, but they want to show us that they're grateful that we gave them the money to buy their pom-poms. Isn't that sweet? I thought it was. But we, raise, we get funding from the Office of Economic Development to activate the square with everything from film festivals to, um, uh, to, to music, uh, to redoing the monochrome murals. Uh, we remove a lot of junk. I mean, it's just in the street. It's unavoidable. It's just what we do. And during COVID, a lot of people moved out. There was an excess amount of it. Graffiti is also a big problem. And this year in particular, it's five times what it was in the previous years. We're the only CBD that washes the sidewalk. And being the land of babies and dogs, it's obvious why we might have to do that. But it's, it's returned the biggest investment uh, in the community because our sidewalks are exceptionally clean. We, let's see, 201 trees. We planted 136 of those trees uh, 15 years ago, and we maintain them. The city now takes over the, um, uh, the maintenance of trimming the, the larger tree branches. But uh, we installed planter boxes, open sidewalk gardens. We, ha we were the first to have two parklets nine years ago. And we love our big bellies. I mean, they, they're pieces, they're art projects for us, and we did a great job graphically making them very interesting. 
Um, we maintain uh, 27 benches and 36 bike racks. Remember, this is eight city blocks. And um, you know, putting out a community bench really teaches you how, how to create a small community because pe people sit there, get to know each other, and um, become friends. Uh, flower baskets, those are the best things we ever did. We hang them up every two, every two months. There you go. Did I, you were done? All right, thank you very much uh, for all your work and for the uh, presentation. I don't know if there are, I don't see any comments or questions. Um, I have one for Mr. Corgus that is just comes to mind when I see your photos. The big belly art, because it's so wonderful to see what some of the CBDs do with big belly art, but it also strikes me for all those areas of my district where we've fought for the big bellies and we don't have CBDs. Like, is, is there, is the, is art on big bellies? Because these, these are, like, they're either eyesores or they're wonderful pieces of art. Is there any kind of city program or are we fully reliant on just if the CBDs want to do those kind of uh, art projects? That is a great question, Supervisor Preston, and I, I could give you a long history of the program, but essentially uh, we do have funding through OEWD. Um, this has been annualized via the enhancement. We did get some addbacks over the years for it. I would say if there were any addbacks towards Big Bellies, uh, to think about that in terms of long-term leasing and maintenance of them. Mm -hmm. um, One-year addbacks typically don't work, and for the smaller CBDs such as uh, Japantown and Noe Valley can leave them into a real lurch uh, financially. Thank you, and uh, maybe we'll hear more. Shout yes. out to Chris, too, because we couldn't do our job without him, seriously, both for the town square funding, for big bellies, for just helping us through the bureaucracy of, of this in the city government. He's been superb, and I just want to give him a big shout out. Thank you for that, and uh, we, we uh, echo the praise. Um, Next up, uh, Mr. Scott, Fisherman's Wharf. See if I can get this going. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, thank you, Chair Preston, Vice Chair Chan, and Supervisor Dorsey. Uh, I'm just going to echo the comments uh, my colleagues have made about Chris Corgus, a uh, phenomenal individual and ethics all day long. Great, great, great person. So. Uh, I'll be as brief as I can. I'm just going to hit the highlights. Uh, I'm sure the packet, has, uh, this is in your packet, as well as our annual report, which is uh, also online. So real quick, uh, the biggest thing we did in 2021 was invest in a new website. And it's not just a website. We didn't have a CRM, and we don't have website staff to deal with. So we invested in a platform that allows us to operate our CRM, which feeds what's called a CMS, which is a content management system, and that feeds what you see on the web. It's mobile optimized, ADA compliant, you know, all the bells and whistles, and it really allows us to look professional to the world. And next up, so uh, real brief, what you're gonna see here, 133,000 unique users, that we're, we're now trending about 400,000 just to give you an idea of how, how scalable that website is. And our Facebook reach, yeah, 3.5 million. Instagram, 133,000. So we're, we, we market, very, market the district very well and well-received by people online. Uh, a lot of media about the wharf. <laughs> yes. 
We, uh, we're inter internationally iconic, so we hit, you know, something hit San Francisco or the waterfront, we usually get a phone call. And our media reach, uh, we about two billion, and we track that through sentiment marketing, uh, Meltwater, as well as uh, Critical Mention. Advocacy, um, we, I was the only CBD invited to uh, sit on the Mayor's Economic Recovery Task Force. Uh, I was on the Hospitality and Arts section, so I was uh, honored to participate in that and to help the city recover. And we also really leaned on SFMTA to get the cable cars back up on operational last year. Uh, that was one of our uh, proudest moments that we uh, worked really close with Julie Kirschbaum. And a little fun fact, December 18th, Santa's going to take photos with kids uh, at the cable car turnaround this year on, on an actual cable car sitting on the sidetrack. So that'll be fun. Advertising, uh, we did radio uh, during uh, last year's Christmas between uh, Christmas and New Year's, trying to boost sales and revenue. Uh, social media advertising spent about uh, 500 on that. It's, social media advertising is very inexpensive, and get, we get a pretty good reach out of it. Uh, and again, we did some radio. Uh, we don't do television currently. It's a little too expensive. Uh, by the numbers, our ambassador program can't live without him. And by the way, Grace, you're welcome for us training Al. He's a great, great ambassador, <laughs> and he started at the wharf. Uh, so our cleaning metrics, 37,000 pounds of trash. Uh, our, our ambassador program, there's only four of them, and we do the entire wharf. So when you come down to the wharf and you see how clean it is, that's our guys on the ground. And we take care of them, they take care of us, and in return, everyone wins because the district looks cleaner and is uh, much more vibrant and welcoming. Uh, Budget-wise, uh, as... Uh, Mr. Corgus mentioned the portside sunset uh, as of it was not renewed and there were mul multiple factors that went into that uh, COVID being one of them and so those funds we we still had a mission to carry on and carry on those uh, efforts through sunset even though a number of the businesses did not pay their assessments so that's why you're going to see negative numbers in there. Uh, Landside carried on, we renewed, and I can't wait to share you our 21-22 numbers. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Mr. Scott. Looking forward to those uh, numbers, and, and uh, I, I am just curious how, yeah, how the transition uh, went with the, the non-renewal on Portside, like is, is just, just the practical impacts of one one being renewed and the other not is there are, are there gaps in services previously provided or what what's the practical impact uh practical implications not they're less than you might think okay. uh what happened was on the port side we were not allowed to clean on on the port side because the state owns it and the labor contracts that are in place so it was primarily marketing mm. and we used those funds for marketing that was the the main thing however since it has uh, sunset, we have created an affiliate program. And so those businesses that want to still participate in the CBD can participate as an affiliate program, which also helps offset the uh, loss of revenue uh, that we used to receive on the port side. Thank you for that uh, information. Uh, any other questions or comments? Not seeing any, so thank you very much. Um, thank you. And last, but definitely not least, 
welcome, Ms. Robinson from uh, uh, North Market Tenderloin CBD. Thank you. Good morning again, supervisors. My name is Kate Robinson. I am the executive director of TLCBD. I was not the ED during this time period for which I'm reporting, but I was there um, as a senior director during the challenging and transformative years of surviving the pandemic in the Tenderloin. I actually left the Tenderloin for uh, a year after working here for 13, and being away really made me realize that there's no greater community and no replacement for the Tenderloin as a place where I want to be. Uh, it's really because of the people who live and work here, the children, families, seniors, and small businesses who fight tirelessly for their low-income neighborhood of color, and they do it together even in dozens of different languages. So our community benefit district was formed by resident property owners in 2005. And similarly, uh, TLCBD's Safe Passage program came from resident mothers and TL youth who wanted their families to feel safe walking to and from school. TLCBD is rooted in community. Uh, we respond to the needs of the community that we serve, and this is really service leadership. It's the community residents and small businesses who are who are our leaders that we follow. Fiscal year 20 and 21 was a year of pure responsiveness for TLCBD. Our safe passage team of all Tenderloin residents shifted to support emergency food access by delivering meals to families and seniors, serving at neighborhood, the neighborhood food pantry um, providing a trusted safety presence when children started going back to school and seniors started accessing their services in person again. Our camera retrieval system helped SFPD, Public Defender's Office, the DA, and private citizens seek justice for violent crimes. Our clean team of 12, who currently respond to 90% of all 311 requests in the Tenderloin, they were there. They were there every single day of the year but one as essential workers. They worked tirelessly and courageously to clean streets, well, to clean sidewalks um, that refuse to stay clean. Our neighborhood pride and inviting space work became vital services for residents to exit their apartments for the first time and feel safe coming outside. Through our years-long block group organizing work, we were collectively able to quickly and effectively open up streets to create space for residents to access the food pantry, vaccines, and for children to play and connect with their stable support people from their schools and after-school programs. We held weekly play streets and actually created a semi-permanent park called Safe Passage Park, or SPARK, um, after recognizing that many children had not left their apartments at all in months. We were asked to expand our Safe Passage programs to parks, the three neighborhood parks, so that residents could safely access vital open space, and we responded. We hired and trained residents through our decade-long safe passage training to become park stewards who are there today. 
We delivered door-to-door -door services, resources, mini grants, relief opportunities, and PPE to our 300 plus small businesses. And uh, this was also the year that we started a youth voice program after five of our neighborhood youth were shot in the summer of 2020 through, through drug-involved street conflicts. We have collectively failed our youth in the Tenderloin and we need to invest more deeply in them. In all of this emergency work, we built many new working relationships across sectors and across ideologies. It was not always sunshine and rainbows, but in the end, we came together to resource and meet the immediate needs for the Tenderloin. Today, we continue to sustain and nurture the many new relationships established during this transformative year to leverage and grow the levels of coordination, urgency, and resourcing to fight for this low-income neighborhood of color, the most important neighborhood in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Robinson, for all your work and for your presentation and to all, to your entire team. It's, it's absolutely incredible, the work uh, that you and your team have been doing um, and, and your uh, joining. I know a lot of this covers this, all this period of time covers time before you were there, but we are thrilled to no, have- No, I was there during this time. During, yeah. But not as, not as I was director. a senior director, yeah. Yeah. so I was doing all of this. Right, right. Sorry, I misspoke. I, I, not Which is why I left for a year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it, great to have you at the, at the, the helm, and, uh, and, and it's really, um, I think, uh, you know, the, the Tenderloin is under, you know, nonstop uh, criticism and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, I, you know, uh, let's say sometimes fair and sometimes unfair portrayals in the in the media, you know, locally, nationally, and internationally, and what often uh, goes unnoticed um, to to so many folks. And I will say this as someone who only recently became you had the tenderloin in my district through through redistricting, uh, just struck by how um, how little attention is paid to by the public and media to the incredible work that is happening every day and some of the truly transformative work that has happened um, in in the Tenderloin um, over, over the last couple years uh, yeah, despite the, the ongoing challenges that the neighborhood faces and I, and I think you, you the, the Tenderloin CBD has really stepped in in, and, and stepped up in ways um, that that have been extremely beneficial um, to the neighborhood. And you mentioned cleaning. I just want to, you know, clean. This is a, a sore point with my office where we fought for in the budget process, and I think we and the administration were on the same page that we were going to get, you know, the enhanced cleaning for the tenderloin, and that's all in the budget. And meanwhile, I've had my, you know, I don't know, fifth, tenth, whatever conversation with DPW around how, it's still not happening six months after that budget is approved. And meanwhile, who's cleaning the streets? It is the Tenderloin CBD. So thank you for stepping up where sometimes our, uh, sometimes our, um, our, our systems are a little slow and yours are not. So thank you for, for all that working. And uh, 
I, I will just end by saying it was a real pleasure to, to walk with you and your team on, in the Safe Passage program, and that's just an incredible program that's developed over the years. So thank you for the ongoing commitment uh, to that work as well. Uh, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Chair Preston. I, um, I think I assume that we're concluded um, the, all the presentation. Just want to thank everybody uh, coming before the committee today. I do want to, if I may, add it as a co-sponsor to the Japantown Community Benefit District. Um, out of all, I, I want to say that you know I definitely have a soft spot for Japantown. Uh, it's really uh, one of the favorite places that my family and I visit, uh, especially my late mother. Uh, besides, she lives. In, she lived in Chinatown, but Japantown was really her next spot, and uh, just amazing. Um, and really, just also all the hard work that it really takes to maintain a space that has such a historical context um, all across, uh, really for the community, but also a way as a way to really fight for a community that has continued to face hate and attacks. Um, but the culture, constant, the culture itself also is constantly being threatened uh, by all the, all different types of developments all around it, and yet it tried to fight, been fighting really hard to uh, keep its history and cultures and his uh, characteristic in place. Uh, I think it takes not just hard work but also soul and love. So uh, I think that it's really been the labor of love for Grace, um, especially in the last couple of years. So uh, for that, I really want to show my support as a co-sponsor. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Chan. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, Chair Preston. I just want to also express my gratitude to everybody um, who took part in this uh, from OEWD and from the, all the CBDs. Um, in particular, I, want to, I would like to be added as a co-sponsor to uh, Tenderloin. You know, I think especially after redistricting, one of the commitments I made was that uh, my intention to be the best supervisor the Tenderloin never elected. And um, I, I know I've invited my uh, colleague and friend, Dean Preston, to be the best supervisor Selma never elected. And uh, I think there's a lot of things that we'll be able to work on for, the, for our neighborhoods together. So as part of that, I'd like to be a co-sponsor. And thanks for your great work. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. Uh, let's go ahead and open these items up for public comment, uh, Madam Clerk, and with a reminder to the public that we are hearing a number of items together. So if you are commenting on one, a particular CBD and want to articulate that, uh, please do. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Are there any members of the public who would like to make public comment for item numbers two through five? Please line up along the wall to your right. Remote public call in members, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. If you are in the chamber and would like to make public comment, please approach the podium. Hi, my name is Sarah Benton. <clears throat> I've been homeless for like 20 years on purpose. I'm living now at the Monat Hotel on Gary Street, and um, I, I'm having problems every day. Hold on a second. I came here last week and I brought about six or seven pair of glasses that they broke. They go in my room and they tear everything up. The feds put this in front of me for me to pick up so I can say and come here and say this, that, that I, they broke these glasses too. I'm on a federal, I've been on a federal watch list for like 20 years um, now and I'm blackballed. My, my room, I can't make a phone call from 
Uh, I'm buying two and three phones a month. They're no good. And, um, and so um, I can't get any information. So the only thing I can come here to do is come here and complain and maybe I can get some help. Okay, so um, can somebody here please help me? Can I talk to someone, please? To help me move so I can get out of this predicament I'm in? So I, I'm gonna invite you to, to you know, stop by if you're on Geary and you may be in the Tenderloin, you can stop by our office or you might be in District 3. I don't know exactly where you are. Mm. Um, this is public comment just on the community benefit districts. We don't take general public comment here, so you're welcome to stop by your supervisor's office if you need further help down the hall. Okay, who, who was that? Depending where you live, it's either myself, uh -huh. Dean Preston, or uh, Supervisor Aaron Peskin, if you're on Geary, uh, it'll be one of those. We can't do question and answer right now, so you okay. can stop by uh, a supervisor's oh, office and oh, get help. Oh, okay, since I can't make any phone calls or anything, it seems like, you know, I'm just stuck. I mean, I've been stuck for 20 years, and this has to do with a, um, a murder of Calvin Williams. Calvin Williams murdered two people, and I've been... And he had me illegally arrested 10 times, causing me to have a Muni accident in 1999. And so I've been blackballed ever since. Been, I've been, I've, I've had drugs planted. I mean, I don't do drugs in my pocket. I mean, I have been chipped. Kaiser plants a chip in my arm. And so I'm on everybody's phone with bad information. And so. Seeing no additional in-person public comment, we'll go to the call line. Are there any, there are two callers on the line. Can you please forward the first caller? This is Mr. Dennis Williams, uh, sub-chair of the Fillmore Merchants Collaborative, uh, No Racism, No Hate, San Francisco Grassroots Organization founder. I just wanna say thank you to the Noe Valley speaker I mean, the representative speaker that represents Noe Valley. Um, I heard the true nature of old San Francisco, and so refreshing, creativity, the arts and crafts, um, what, uh, imaginations, things that we were taught um, by people from Noe Valley um, that came to our communities of D5 um, was growing up in St. Dominic's. Um, brings pride and assists in mental health as well. Oh, I have a ding, sorry. Um, thank you um, also for Japantown, which is our, our neighbors. Um, I um, know the history of Japantown and our re um, relationship. I want to extend an olive branch and an apology for all the crime and stuff that's going on um, relative from the D5 that spills over, like I stated earlier, into the Japantown. And just want to let you guys know that No Racism, No Hate San Francisco is here to also help um, keep it clean, get the graffiti off, and um, so we would love to partner and for you guys to talk to um, our supervisor uh, of the district to get some of these youth and young adults to um, actually, you know, do some positive things in, in our communities. And I want to just lastly say everything in the Tenderloin must be assisted while we have people that's caring and out there doing fabulous work in one of our most troubled and impoverished communities and is our close to downtown. Um, there's a lot of development going on in these um, sectors, so please support uh, black real estate developers 
gaining um, lucrative contracts and um, to build affordable housing so we can put these youth in these impoverished communities to uh, work and on-site job training. So I just want to say thank you to all that do great work in this um, in our communities citywide. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. May we please have the next caller? So uh, in the two minutes, two measly minutes that are given to me, let me see if I can handle this situation. Uh, the community benefit districts, from what I am reading, there are many of them. So how come we hear just from a few? And uh, what I've heard is uh, during the pandemic, a lot of these uh, community benefit districts had problems with uh, uh, the links that they couldn't open. So many people couldn't get vaccinations. So have we thought about standards, like having a commander like FEMA has, rather than a safety officer that we have that pretends to know all about emergency services? The other issue is the redistricting. So one supervisor suddenly found out now he's in charge of the Tenderloin. And the other uh, supervisor, um, I know him very well, and he's, uh, uh, he's all embracing, so he's ready to work. So that's good among these two supervisors. But what about standards? Why do we have community benefit districts and we have divisiveness? Who's going to fix that? And what about funding? You praise the mayor's office of economic development, but there's a lot of corruption going there. What about standards? What about accountability? What about transparency? Why are so many people jumping ship from the mayor's office of economic development? What about that Tenderloin Clinic that's going to be closed? Where are all for the those people going to go? The speaker's time has lapsed. Thank you for your comments. We'll see if there are any remaining callers. There are no additional callers on the line. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Public comment on these items is now closed. And uh, with thanks to all the representatives of the, the CPDs and their teams, and also uh, to Mr. Corgus, uh, I would like to move to send these resolutions, items two through five, to the full Board of Supervisors with positive recommendation. Thank you on that motion. Vice Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Member Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. You have three ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. Uh, and uh, can, Madam Clerk, can you uh, call the closed session items? Yes. Today's litigation agenda is comprised of items six through eight, which include an ordinance and two resolutions regarding settlements for lawsuits and unlitigated claims. Thank you, and let's open up the, uh, the closed session items uh, for public, public comment. comment. Okay. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on these items should call 415-655-0001. When prompted, enter meeting ID 2488-408-5230, then pound, and then pound again. If you haven't already done so, please dial star 3 to line up to speak. 
The system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand. Please wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments when we go to public comment. Are there any members of the public who would like to comment on items number six through eight? Please line up along the wall to your right. Remote public call-in members, please press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. Seeing no more in-person comment, let's move on to our public call-in line. Oh, I'm sorry that we have someone in person. You may proceed. Good morning. Good morning, Chair, Vice Chair, Supervisor. Uh, my name is Robert Sandoval, and I'm a business representative for the Sanitary Truck Drivers and Helpers, Teamsters Local 350, which represents uh, 2,400 members in the solid waste and recycling industry, linen industry, and public, public sector in San Francisco, San Mateo, Santa Clara, and San Benito counties since 1936. Uh, I'm here today to speak on behalf of my members at Recology, which, as you know, are employee owners, and they take great pride in that. Uh, we understand that the city of San Francisco and Recology have negotiated this profits dispute settlement. Uh, the local union is in favor of, being, of, this, of this being approved uh, quickly by the board and paid promptly. Uh, we applaud the Board of Supervisors for continuing to rectify uh, these past issues in order to move forward with Recology. As employee owners, the livelihoods and retirements of my members is tied directly to the, su the success of this company which is in large part provided by the goods and services our members, members provide every day. Uh, however, Recology continues to ignore a key voter-mandated guardrail against future corruption. Uh, they have pledged uh, to work and cooperate, uh, but are required to approve the employee-owner representative on the board of directors, or on their board of directors, per Prop F, uh, which was the first major update to the 1932 ordinance since its inception. Uh, the local union appointed representative on the board would work to ensure that no future corruption would be possible. Uh, we ask for your continued support on behalf of the members and thank you for your time. Thank you. Good afternoon, uh, supervisors, or maybe it's morning, excuse me. But anyway, Mark Leeson here. I'm here on behalf of Teamster 665 and local 350s, other sister locals to uh, emphasize uh, the ask that Local 350 has, there is a voter-mandated approved Prop F that included the provision for employee representatives to have uh, a, a place at the table. And as, of course, we know the recent history that happened, we're all moving on from that. And it is our position that uh, by putting that employee representative, and again, they are employee owners, as Brother Sandoval said, uh, at the table that the uh, there should be, it, it should uh, allow for a transparency going forward uh, and for a confidence, not just of the workers, but also the residents of San Francisco about the conduct that's going to go forward in this new uh, environment at Recology. So we uh, completely support what 350 is asking for and ask for your assistance in any way you can. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing no more in-person public comment, we'll go to the phone line. There's one caller in the queue. Can you please forward the caller? Can you hear me now? Yes. Great, and if I could have a 30 second uh, warning, that would be great. Uh, David Pilpel, uh, good morning, almost afternoon. So on this uh, issue, it was way too hard to seek a copy of the proposed settlement. I still 
haven't uh, seen it. It's apparently been mailed, but I have not seen it yet. It really should be in the file and accessible to the public. This is just way too hard on this proposed uh, settlement. This is another proposed settlement outside the 1932 ordinance or Prop F uh, from June of 2022 that was approved uh, by the voters. Um, I am concerned that the rate setting process is being um, ignored by these uh, multi-million dollar uh, settlements that are outside the, the confines of the rate setting process that was approved by the voters. Um, it would be great if you could take a moment to describe the proposed terms beyond what's in the legislation, including how uh, ratepayers would be impacted uh, here and how the property uh, issues, including uh, rent and ratepayer uh, benefit from sales of property would work. That's not at all clear from the legislation, in my opinion. We should hear from the Department of the Environment, from the controller on setting up the uh, rate setting uh, office that they're uh, mandated to do, and uh, from the mayor's office on where they are on appointing the ratepayer representative to the refuse rate board. Ratepayers should benefit from the sale of 7th and Barry. Uh, I don't know if that's what's contemplated in the agreement, and the city should ultimately own the Tunnel Avenue uh, site with uh, Recology or whoever is the uh, provider uh, as a tenant. Um, and finally, I would really appreciate it if you could amend the legislation to add another resolved clause at the end to require that a copy of the final executed agreement be included in the Board of Supervisors file. That is pretty standard uh, language in uh, other uh, resolutions that involve agreements, and I don't think it would be a substantive amendment to add that Thank here to require comments. that final agreement. Thank you to the last caller for your comments. Are there any additional callers? There are no additional callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on these items is closed. Um, before we go further, I do want to make a motion to excuse uh, Supervisor Dorsey from the remainder of the GAO hearing today. On the motion to excuse Supervisor Dorsey, Vice Chair Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. There are two ayes. Uh, thank you. The motion passes. Um, I, I, I was just curious on the last point that a public uh, uh, commenter made. It, it, the final settlement agreement, I, I mean, I don't think we needed to amend a resolution, but if, if I assume that that can be up to, uh, uploaded as part of the, uh, of the file. There's no, there's no issue with that. Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson. Um, settlements are made available to the public and upon request, and there's been a request. We've tried to reach the, the, the requester on many occasions here, but don't have his phone number or email. So we have mailed one. Um, it's not standard practice for the settlements to be uploaded into the um, board's file, but I don't see why we couldn't. We'd have to see if there are any um, confidential terms. I don't think there are. There are in some of our contracts, but we'd be happy to look at it and um, make that happen. Thanks. Yeah, I think it makes sense if, if there's not a confidentiality issue, uh, given the public interest in, in that. Um, okay, let's, uh, I'll move to convene and close session. Madam Clerk, please call the roll. Thank you. To convene and close session, Vice Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. There are two ayes. Thank you.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay, just a moment while we confirm. SFGov TV, can you please confirm you can hear me? Ms. Engulf, can you please confirm that you can hear me? Thank you for confirming. Okay, let me just let him. Supervisor Prescott, you are ready. Testing. Somebody's echoing. Muted. Testing. Okay. Apologies while we work through a technical difficulty.
We are now back in open session. Thank you for your patience while we were away. Uh, Madam Clerk, please report on the closed session deliberations. Thank you. In closed session, the committee voted unanimously to recommend items 6 to 8 to the full board with a positive recommendation. Thank you. Uh, and Vice Chair Chen. Thank you, Chair Preston. Um, I, uh, and I think uh, not to disclose any um, discussion uh, during our, our closed session, um, I am uh, making really uh, statements particularly on the recology settlements that is not directly relevant to the settlement, um, is that I, I just want to remind the general public um, that the voters, San Francisco voters, have overwhelmingly voted for Proposition F in this uh, year uh, during the June election. Uh, with Proposition F, it actually gave us an opportunity to really um, bring in focus the discussion about rate setting uh, for San Francisco rate payers uh, for recology and to actually give us a chance to really think about a fair way and uh, an objective way to, to really do the rate setting for recology. And I look forward to the partnership uh, among the city agency to move that forward and evaluate the existing rate at this point, I believe it's 9%, like will we'll actually be, um, is that something that we, we should readjust? With that said though, I, I also wanted to just using this opportunity to remind the recology um, and management and the board directors that, that this board has passed a resolution urging them to really think about the makeup of the board directors um, to make sure that the, the interest of workers is fairly representative, re, fairly represented uh, on that board directors to really think about the representation that's to be inclusive uh, of workers and uh, themselves as a representation, but also uh, just generally speaking, their interests. So thank you, Chair Preston. Thank you, uh, Vice Chair Chan. Um, and let's go ahead and uh, I'll move to um, not disclose the closed session uh, discussions. Please call the roll on that. Thank you on that motion, Vice Chair Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. There are two ayes. Thank you. That motion passes. Uh, any further business before the committee? There's no further business. Thank you, Madam Clerk. We are adjourned. <laughs>